Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Jared Brugar with Kevin Quigley and Joe Smelter of NSN. Gentlemen, we can talk about the Michigan game, but the real news happened Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Uh, Mike Yurcich, the offensive coordinator, was dismissed after an abysmal performance against Michigan. Uh, the offense looked inept at times, and there are a lot of play calls that really were very questionable. He gets dismissed. He's the first coordinator or coach that James Franklin has dismissed in season in his tenure. And now Jaywan Sider, running backs coach, and Ty Howe, offense, uh, or I'm sorry, tight ends coach, will be running the offense for the remainder of the season. But this is a lot of has got a lot of implications for the Nittany Lions down the line here almost immediately. Yeah, I feel bad for Yurcich. I mean, I did call for him to be fired after the Ohio State game. And I, I did not think that I was overreacting at this point in time. So to see him fired after this game rather quickly, I mean, less than 24 hours if the game's over, he's without a job. Mike, best of luck in your future endeavors if you're listening to this, but doubt you are. Um, but this is indicative of the transport transfer portal era, right? The offense has looked inept against top competition. You have an offense that seemingly has a lot of talent on it. And you're going to fire the guy who recruited every single quarterback that you're going to have this year and in future years. So if you have the transfer portal, like the college football does now, you have to recruit your roster every year. Like we've talked about ad nauseum at this point in time. And if your offense is frustrated and you fire the guy that recruited the people who you need the most, you have to prove to them that what you're going to have next year is worth their while to stay. You fire Yersich today. You have two games in the regular season before any of the athletes can any tr- even transfer out. You give Jay Wansider two weeks to say, hey, show these guys what you want to do is worth their while to stay. And you keep Drew Aller and you keep Bo Perbula and you keep Luke Gunkenmeyer, whatever his name is, the recruit that's coming in. You keep them on board and you wash your hands clean of Yersich. And you hopefully keep this offense intact because the defense shows they can win a national championship yesterday. They did show that. Can the offense match it? It's remained to be seen. It couldn't with Yursich. Can it with Cider? Yeah. And the whole uh, season is really, I don't want to say falling apart because the team is still late in two, but the reason they didn't beat Ohio State or Michigan is because of the offense. I mean, both games were different, uh, but were they really different, though? I mean, Ohio State, the defense plays very well, and Penn State loses. Michigan, defense plays really well again, and Penn State doesn't win. Uh, you got to blame the offense for both of that, and um, that starts with the coordinator. And there's a lot of ways this could go, obviously. Uh, the first time James Franklin fired an OC, uh, that was John Donovan, and they replaced him with Joe Moorhead. That worked out. They fired uh, Kirk Soraka and replaced him with Mike Yurcich. And here we are. The other coordinators that left uh, left on their own, uh, McCord, Ricky Ronnie, and why am I blanking on why am I blanking on uh, the second one? Uh, this should be more, the easiest. Morehead, Morehead. Yeah, more. Yeah, Morehead. Sorry, I just mentioned him, but yeah. Those two left on their own accord, uh, but uh, the two James fired. Uh, one worked out. Um, one's replacement worked out and the other ones, um, ended up uh, getting the same fate as 
his predecessor. Um, I don't, uh, you mentioned an interesting point about the transfer portal, Kevin. Um, I feel like if there was even the slightest doubt of this affecting Drew Hours' uh, chances to stay at Penn State, the move wouldn't have been made because that's just too big a risk. Because Yursich, obviously, we know the history, he's the guy that discovered Aller uh, before he blew up into a five star, offered him at Penn State, um, convinced him to commit, and then by the time Aller did blow up, uh, he was in love with Franklin, Yursich, Penn State, etc., enough to where he stayed committed at Penn State. So I feel like uh, there was probably a conversation uh, with Franklin and Drew Aller beforehand. I mean, all this, I can't imagine. Um, I don't want to say Drew Aller helped make the decision, but um, I definitely think that there were discussions uh, with um, at least the quarterback um, as far as what the move uh, would mean. Uh, but uh, your point overall is right. Obviously getting, getting rid of any coordinator um, is going to have an effect on the people that are there. Um, Cause obviously your uh, recruited a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys have relationships with your and getting a new coordinator um, is a big deal. And if people don't like the new coordinator with the transfer portal, they could go elsewhere. But Overall, um, I think uh, this decision uh, was made um, at the right time. Um, give J1 Sider, and to a lesser extent, I think, not to disrespect Ty Howell, but I think J1 Sider is the guy that we're looking at the most, at least from the outside, as far as who could potentially be a candidate uh, that had the full-time job uh, in 2024. But give those two guys I'm a crack at it for two games, uh, plus the bowl game, and We'll uh, see what happens from there. But Mike Yursich is out because he didn't get it done when it mattered. That's a really good point. You mentioned Drew Aller, and I think Drew Aller has a has a really big interest or big um, reasoning for why this is the way that it is. Drew Aller's best game, it seemed, came against obviously Maryland, but the first game of the year when they played West Virginia, we all thought that this was going to be an incredible season for Drew Aller. You know. It, but the issue is throughout the course of the season, while yes, there's more game game film on him and, and teams are a little bit more or, or better prepared to, to key on him and, and shut him down in those areas. He showed regression. He did not get better. He has not gotten better throughout the course of the year. And on Saturday against Michigan, much like he did against Ohio state, he looked like a deer in the headlights. And I don't know that that's necessarily him, but I don't think that they're doing a great job uh, of getting him in positions where he's comfortable. You know, they're running to the short side of the field, and I'm not sure that Mike Yurisich understands how a funnel works, but Kevin, you as an engineer, uh, a funnel, everything goes into one little area, and when you go to the short side of the field, there's no room to grow, to go, and I think that's a big issue. The play calling and play design, they didn't do enough to get guys open. They didn't do enough to get guys into space. You know, too many times you see these these plays run to the short side, and that's an issue. That is a big problem when you need to get your playmakers like Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen into space. You can say what you want about the receivers, but if they're not being able to, to get schemed open like Ohio State does with Marvin Harrison, don't get me wrong. That's probably comparing apples to oranges as far as talent goes. Uh, but at the same time, they were able to scheme him open when he was being locked down. And that's not something that Penn State has been capable of doing in this offense. And that is why... Mike Yurisich is gone. I think it's a hasty move. I think it's I think it's super aggressive, which ironically is the opposite of what the Penn State offense has done this year. There has not been any aggressiveness. But again, the big thing is now you you have time to to go out and, and make a decision. And James Franklin is very very calculated. Um, every move that he makes comes comes within something. 
comes with a message. We've talked about that at length multiple times here. But you could tell in his press conference yesterday when he said, we need to do a better job of getting our quarterback in, in, in better situations and, and quick completions. And he specifically mentioned the play calling. And that's the nail in the coffin for Yurcich. Yeah, and Yurcich just didn't adapt, right? No matter if the offense was successful or not, or especially when it wasn't successful, there's zero adaptation. Why was the West Virginia game good? There was crossing routes. There was three and four wide receivers on the field at a time. Catron Allen and Nick Singleton averaged five yards of rush against West Virginia because the offense wasn't predictable. They started yesterday running on first down 12 straight times. They were, we talked last week, I think they were 60% run tendency on first down. And that's even still like it's close to 50 50, but maybe you want to be a little bit more pass happy. But if you start 100% of your first downs with a run, Michigan's just going to stack the box. Penn State was stacking the box in the second half. They had 10 guys within, or they had all 11 guys within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage because all Michigan did in the second half was run the ball. Michigan's defense all day yesterday was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Why? Because Yursich just kept running everybody into the backs of the offensive line. There's zero misdirection. There's zero motion. There's 20, there's 12 personnel. It's just static. They ran five plays from the four yard line and in and couldn't get the ball in the end zone on the first drive of the game. Why? Because they ran the same four plays they've run all season long from inside the five. It's just unimaginative. It's just stale. And honestly, it's just, it wasn't good. And you talk about play calling and you talk about putting Aller in places to succeed. And if you just do the same damn thing over and over and over and over again, and it's not working and he's not succeeding, what makes you think he's going to be in rhythm when you have to pass the ball, when you're down nine points with a minute left because of boneheaded decisions they made yesterday that put them in that position? It's just... If your quarterback's out of rhythm, you got to get him in rhythm. And you're not going to get him in rhythm throwing one on one 50 50 balls 40 yards or 25 yards downfield, 40 yards away on the far sideline. Like it's that's not how you get your quarterback in rhythm. You find the dink and dunks, you find the crossing routes, you find the slant routes, you find things to get them open, you scheme them open, and none of that's happening. And then they're like, Drew, we need you to throw for 70 yards on this drive. Like that's the only thing, that's the only way we're going to win. And he's just like, what do you mean? Like, I've thrown for 70 yards all day because we've not done anything to be successful. And the running game was successful in the one drive where they found success to the air. The one drive that they got, I think it was the, I forget which drive it was. Maybe it was the drive that they got all the way down, but it started with a 19 yard reception by Tyler Warren on second down. That opened him up. It opened up the play call. And Nick Singleton, I think went like four carries for like 30 yards on that drive. Like, he was successful because the offense was unpredictable. And under your stitch, the offense was just too damn predictable. Yeah, and uh, there's definitely a bunch of plays that you can point to. Um, I hate the fade play, um, and I really don't like it with short receivers. They, yeah, worked against Maryland, on which that game uh, feels like a million years ago now. Uh, but just in general... Um, the fade only works um, if you got guys that are 6'4", 6'5". Dante Cephas is six feet. 
Mitchell Tinsley wasn't very tall, and Yurtsich, for whatever reason, loved to call fade plays with Sean Clifford and Drew Aller, QB, respectively, throwing the ball to those two guys. Uh, and that was on, I think, third and goal um, on that drive where they got it the first and goal from the free um, and couldn't punch it in. Uh, but, yeah, it was just uh, – there was no rhythm. Um, they kind of stopped giving the ball to Catron Allen, even though Allen, I think, was getting better in the second half. And um, it was just a poorly called game uh, for all the reasons uh, you two have mentioned. So, yeah, it's it's kind of – it was a shock decision when it came out, uh, but uh, boiling down to it, um, it definitely – it absolutely uh, makes sense. Maybe, I don't know if it's something we should have seen coming because how many teams that are eight and two um, fire a coordinator on, well, unless you're Iowa, but that's kind of a whole different world as far as offense goes. Uh, but um, yeah, he wasn't getting it done. And the three of us, uh, we've, we've all said it. Uh, it's hard for me to really add too much on because um, it's, to me, it's quite simple. Short term. Now it's J1 Sider and Ty Howell that are, they're calling the shots. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see how they call games, um, especially J1 Sider. Um, he's been around. He's the the most tenured staff member on the offensive side of the football. Um, so when you look at that, I think there's value in that. He was there, you know, and before Shiraka, um, which when is when the offense I think really peaked. Um, you had Moorhead and then Ricky Ronnie before Ricky Ronnie ended up at Old Dominion. Um, and, and if you go back in time, I think we would ultimately say. Where have you gone, Ricky Ronnie? We miss you. Um, at times, if you're if you're a Penn State fan, and if you oh, like, let's offense, get uh, Joe Moorhead back from Akron. <laughs> yeah, right. And and that's the other thing too. So now, James Franklin, like I said, makes calculated decisions. He knows who he wants, and probably has a lead on who he wants. Now, granted, he had the same deal um, when it came to Yurcich, um, but Yurcich really wasn't a proven offensive coordinator. Uh, I to me. You know, he, he did well in Mike Gundy's system because the Big 12 just failed to play defense. Um, and at OK State, you know, that's that's easy, right? Fades, go, go routes, anything. You know, you're not really doing a lot of stuff across the middle uh, in the in that area. Um, didn't really see much from him at Texas. And then obviously he was at Ohio State and say what you want about that time. But now the ball is in in the, the current staff's hands. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what – what they do moving forward. But when we come back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the long-term effects this decision has on the Penn State football program as a whole when we come back from this break on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. They are Kevin and Joe, and I am Jared. And we have got a lot to talk about as far as the long-term aspects go for the decision to fire Mike Yurcich after their loss to Michigan on Saturday. Yeah, and Jared, you talked about this earlier, right at the end of the first segment. Franklin knows who he wants. That's why Soraka got fired. That's why Yursich was hired because they wanted Yursich before he went to Texas, and that's when they got stuck with Soraka. I kind of want him to go Joe Brady, but I don't think they're going to go that way. I think he wants Jay Wan Sider. He's the associate head coach. He's been with him for twenty eight since twenty eighteen under Ricky Ronnie. When, as you mentioned, the offense was good, and this kind of this is this is also what you want. You want a guy who's been there for a long time. 
And if for all the people who want Franklin fired, I get it. He's not been as successful as we want him to be. But guess what? They're still ranked number 12th in the nation, and that's exactly where they deserve to be. And next year in the playoff, they're they're in. But with Jaywan Sider, he's a guy who's been there since 2018, as I mentioned. He's probably a threat to leave. He's probably a threat to be an offensive coordinator somewhere else, associate head coach somewhere else. And he's probably the best recruiter that they have in the building on the offensive side of the ball. From the end game aspect, because he's been there since 2018, Franklin knows who he is. And he knows who Franklin is. And if Franklin's the one that's been calling some of these shots, like, hey, let's go for it on fourth down here, or, you know, I want to throw that fade right on third and goal, Cider probably has enough rapport with him and be like, nah, James, you put me in this position to call plays and be the offensive coordinator. I got this. I think Jaywan Sider has enough enough rapport to do that, and that's kind of what the offense needs. The defense is successful because James doesn't meddle with the defense. James lets Manny Diaz do what he wants. He's like, Manny, this is your game. Go for it. And that's what Penn State needs to do with their next offensive coordinator because if I think James does somewhat get involved with the offense, I don't know that, and I don't know the relationship that Sider or Yursich and Franklin all had. and. What's the dynamic between Franklin and Sider? I think it's to be seen, but I feel like Sider's a more vocal guy. I always got the perception that Yursich was that quiet guy that just stood in the corner. And so Sider brings energy. And I do think that he's he has enough to to stand up to Franklin. And he's probably going to be on the sideline. And when the offense is struggling and they're not in rhythm and you're relying on some GA quarterback assistant to help Drew get him set. No, have J1 Sider. He's familiar with the running backs. He's a college quarterback. I, I think it's I think that's who he wants. I think that's who it should be as well. Yeah, and I don't know how much um Sider and how uh, particularly Sider, because uh, as I mentioned, I think he's the main guy out of these two, how much they can prove over the rest of the season because you're better than Rutgers significantly, better than Michigan State significantly, and then in the bowl game. The way bowl games are now, uh, I know last year Penn State and Utah pretty much both had their A teams, but that doesn't happen in every bowl game anymore. So who knows how much you're going to be able to prove if you play, um, if Penn State has five or six opt-outs or if they play a team that has five or six opt-outs. So um, I don't know how much um, the offense and subsequently Cider uh, and how can really prove um, because um, of those factors being better than the next two uh, regular season opponents, last year regular season opponents, and then who knows um, if the eight A squads are going to beat her for the, for the bowl game. And also, if Penn State scores a bunch um, against Rutgers, is it because uh, J1 Sider was just doing things way better than Mike Yurcich, or would a lot of it just be the adrenaline of having a new coordinator? I, I believe that's a thing where if there's a change made in the middle of the season, the next week, um, the team looks really good uh, because it's fresh. Uh, they got that adrenaline and they're playing well. And who knows if that's really sustainable. So, um, yeah, the search is going to be uh, interesting. I think Sider is absolutely a candidate. You have to look at him as such because he's been there um, for a long time because he's a guy that has not only coordinator aspirations but head coaching aspirations. Uh, still a fairly young guy in his late 40s. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as far as this season goes, um, it's definitely a, an opportunity for J1 Sider, an opportunity for Ty Howe. I think it's an opportunity for Danny O'Brien, too, to be able to work under uh, different coordinators as he kind of 
um, shoots up uh, the ranks um, of GA. And um, I think uh, it's kind of becoming uh, the Dion Barnes um, of the offensive side. But, uh, yeah, uh, I expect um, things to be pretty interesting against Rutgers because an in-season change can often be um, a shot in the arm uh, for a struggling team slash unit. Uh, and we'll see if Saturday uh, plays out that way. That's a really good point. You know, J Wan has been around for a, for a while, and, and and it's very interesting. Now, J Wan is on the field, and and I think and Ty Hal is is in the booth, and I think that gives you a little bit of, a better of an aspect. You know, when when the offensive coordinator is on the field, you see the rhythm, you see the flow of the game a little bit differently than you see from up top. But but the biggest thing is that there are going to be so many different names thrown about, and, and you, I've already seen you know Joe Brady and Joe Moorhead and and. Tyler Bowen, Tyler Bowen, I thought could have been easily the offensive coordinator just a few years ago um, before he ended up leaving to go to the Jags. And I think that was right when Kirk Shiraka took the position. Um, I think he, he called a great game in the Cotton Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. But but now, you know, Jay Wan is a trusted assistant. He's been there for since 2018. I think there's value in that. I do expect Danny O'Brien to be elevated now to, to quarterback coach, um, which I think is well-deserved given, given what he's done uh, with the program. Um, thus far, but the biggest thing is they've just got to get some good in. Long term, James Franklin has gone through offensive coordinators like nothing, and he's gone through wide receiver coaches like nothing. And you mentioned the meddling, Kevin. Is James Franklin meddling too much? Is he meddling not enough? Like, and it's trying to find that balance between being the head coach and, and establishing an offensive identity that the Nittany Lions don't have. They don't have an offensive identity and that is a big issue 10 games into the season you've got to have some semblance of an identity and, and I, I you just don't know what it is you know and, and that's a really tough game you know a competent offensive performance in in those two in the losses to i or um, the losses to ohio state and michigan this year penn state could very well be 10 and 0 just a competent offensive performance away you know and, and i think that's the thing that that's weird about this situation is this offense is good or, or is okay. This team is good. This defense is playing some elite football, but the offense is holding it back. It's like the dragon meme, right? Two of them look like they're fierce and the other one looks goofy as hell. And that, that and that right now is, is where what's going on at Penn state. And, and James Franklin needs to look himself in the mirror, figure out what he wants the offense to look like and, and maximize that. Is that an RPO style? Is that more of a pocket passer type style? And let that guy go to work. Let your offensive coordinator feast. Let him do his thing and don't meddle. Just get out of the way, add input where you need to, and, and figure it out. And they play like they play the same game every time against Michigan and Ohio State. Conservative, playing not to lose, control the ball. Just go out there and play, man. If you lose, you lose. But it's so much better to go out and lose that way rather than playing with playing tight. And, and playing the way that they have, you know, obviously what they're doing isn't working. You know, they beat every team other than Ohio state and Michigan. And, and there aren't very many teams that beat those two teams. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, something's got to give. And James Franklin's got to look himself in the mirror. It's, it is on him. It, it, this is all on him and his decision-making. He did this now with two games left uh, in the regular season. They are still very much in line with a bowl game. They are still very much in line with getting to a New Year's Six game. 
And that obviously is, is the hope, right? It, there, are, there are only maybe twelve teams that are not envious of Penn State right now, and there are the t- twelve teams that are that are ahead of them, or or whatever. And that is one of those situations where now you know, it's that it's not just Penn State offense having an identity crisis; it's the program, right? What do you since the good to great or the great to elite comments, right? Where have they been against Ohio State, and Michigan? That's the issue here. And that's what James Franklin has to look himself in the mirror and, and figure out what are you going to do? How do you become elite? How do you continuously beat Ohio State and, and Michigan? Right? And they've beat Michigan on occasion, but the results against Ohio State just haven't been there, save for a for a blocked kick. Yeah, I, I think James doesn't need to dictate what offensive style they run. You gotta trust the guy that you hire. And if you're James Franklin, you need to work on your endgame decision-making. It's It's been 10 years of questionable endgame decision-making in big games. And yesterday was was the pinnacle of that. You said you're a competent offensive performance away. You're three yards away on third and goal. Or from you're three yards, you're four yards away on third third down and one from the four-yard line. You get the first down. You're first and goal from the three on the second drive of the game. If you score a touchdown there, you're up seven nothing, and Michigan's probably a little bit deflated. We could talk about why they were inflated, and uh, we probably should get to that at some point in time. But you score a touchdown there, you're up seven nothing. So if Michigan goes down the field and do what they did, because Diaz hadn't had the chance to make the adjustments yet, because Michigan hadn't shown their full cards yet, you have a tie game. And then if you don't, if you if you don't go for two at the end of the first half. It's another tie game. It's it's 14-14, and you go into halftime, you're getting the ball out of halftime in a tie game with a chance to take the lead. And then you're not putting the game in the ref's hands because they made the decision to punt right at midfield. And I at the time, I didn't think it was a good position, but then Riley, a decision, but then Riley Thompson pins them at the one-yard line. Penn State forces a three and out. Daquan Hardy gets that return from the 40, gets it up to midfield. There's that phantom block in the back. That sets them back 20 yards, and that was when Penn State, it felt like they were gaining momentum. The defense was was doing everything in their power that they could. I mean, the defense after the first drive gave up, what, two first downs over three drives, forced two three and outs. I mean, the defense was balling, and because they ended up having to chase points, because they chased points earlier, just weren't as successful as they needed to, they put themselves into bad situations. And then the offense wasn't good. And it's just, I think if you're Franklin, you just, you got to get away from the analytics. I mean, the analytics are there as a decision-making tool, but like they said on the broadcast, the analytics never have to deal with not making the two-point conversion. Right. And the analytics, it's like, oh yeah, you get the two-point conversion as if it's, as if it's good. But the two-point conversion is from the two-yard line. And they couldn't score on three plays from the three. So what what makes them think that they could have done it? And then you call that shit trick play that they called. I don't know. Sorry. Flea flicker. Not even a flea flicker. It was just the. There were a lot of plays that were like that. And that and that, that can't happen against teams like Michigan and Ohio State. They got too cute too many times. Right? Like I'm you, throwing the Malik Mega on the, behind the line of scrimmage on second and one. Yeah, like. Yeah, the one time you have success running the ball on first down, you get to second one, and what do you do? You immediately take it out of Katron's hands? Right. You put it in Katron and Singleton's hands when they weren't having success, and you're running into a brick wall for four straight plays. 
And then the one time he gets success, you immediately take the ball out of their hands. Yeah, they also first and goal from the free, they call a run to the outside. Who runs to the outside really well? Nick Singleton. They run it with Catron Allen. So either have Singleton run it if you're going to call it out play or have Catron go up the middle. Nothing wrong with either of those two options, but that's not Catron's strength. And you had him do that and they didn't get any yards and then ended up kicking the field goal. So. That I think is uh, the 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 strengths of the running backs. I think is a great opportunity for for J1 Sider to really maximize those guys to get what you're going to get out of Nick Singleton. The forcing him to run between the tackles has not worked out well. It just has not. He is not that type of running back. You got to get him into space. Same thing with Katron Allen. Same Katron Allen and and Nick Singleton are, are very much different, but they need to be used correctly. And honestly. Get into a situation like they were in 2016 when Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders are on the field together. Get them on the field at the same time. It, it, it is legal to do that. Get them get them into space. Get them on a wheel route. Get them isolated. You know, there are just too many times Mike Hirsich's offense was predictable, but then so unpredictable that it just looked awful. That, like I understand, you know, we talk about in the Michigan game, going for too early, you know, you chip it to a three-point game. You're you're banking on getting two yards. You should be able to get two yards. Though last you know last year's offensive performance against Illinois proved otherwise uh, in overtime. Right? Can't can't really do much. But at the same time, you know, get your the last one the 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 last play of, J, of Mike Yurcich's career at Penn State um, when they score there. Um, that is what he's going to be forever remembered by, and that's unfortunate because that was just so historically terrible. Um, they didn't have any idea what they were doing. Uh, and, and, that, and that showed. And that can't happen for a team that's number 10 in the country. That can't happen for a team like Penn State that's fighting to beat Michigan to go to the Big Ten championship game. It just can't and, happen. And they got lucky because there was a really shit play call earlier. It's fourth and one, and you go with a half-pack pass throwback to the quarterback. <laughs> I mean, we're giving him a free pass because it actually worked, but Katron throws an absolute duck, just a pure yeah, rainbow. I mean, I was just like, holy crap. And then you're putting your quarterback into a position of potentially getting absolutely leveled by a linebacker or a defensive back who's just ready to take his head off. I mean, we give Gersuch a free pass on that one because that play actually worked for once. But, like, geez, Louise, man, I'm I am so glad the Gersuch era, era is over. And Jaywan Sider, he's been working with the running backs. He knows their strengths. And as a former college quarterback, he understands how he needs to get into a rhythm and he knows the personnel. He knows how to get in a rhythm. This just seems like a perfect match made in heaven. And man, I just hope they have success. And Joe, you asked, how are we going to know that Penn State actually got better on offense? You'll see it. I mean, there will be flow. There will be rhythm. Drew actually throws for 300 yards in a game again. And Katron yeah. Allen and Nick Singleton, one of them actually gets 100 yards. Or maybe they both get 100 yards in a game. Maybe they put up 500 yards of offense against Rutgers or against Michigan State in the Dome. I mean, this offense has looked inept all season long. They just happen to get bailed out by the defense who could force turnovers, get short fields. And frankly, they play Delaware. And when you play an FCS school, they look pretty, you look pretty damn good when you play an FCS school. Now you see why they scheduled them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You said, I think, I think Jay Wan Sider has a, has a chance to legitimately show the scores will look the same. It'll still be 45 to seven next week against Rutgers. It's not my official score prediction, but I might do it just because it could still be 45 to seven against Rutgers. And it probably would have with your at the helm, but the 45 points will look different. It'll feel different. It's be like, 
when the offense goes down the field, you're like, man, you're not going to be the man. I hope they don't screw this up. It's going to be, all right, let's keep this thing going. They're going to be putting, maybe they get a 75-yard touchdown this week. Maybe, just maybe, they get an explosive play. That remains to be seen. But we're going to be explosive on the other side of this break when we come back to the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nate Sports Now Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. He's Joe. I'm Jared. Now, there was an actual game. Um, the other team did play. Um, Sands, their head coach. That was the news. Uh, Jim Harbaugh had to stay at the team hotel. He was not allowed at Beaver Stadium due to cheating allegations. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I thought somebody died. I thought, hands down, somebody at Michigan has passed away. There's been some tr- sort of tragedy. Um, but in fact, it's literally only Harbaugh being suspended for three games. Um, the way that the university is handling this scandal, I think is absolutely embarrassing. Um, you, you messed up and and it wasn't Harbaugh's fault. And and that's what the big 10 memo said. This is not, we can, we cannot confirm nor deny Harbaugh's involvement. This is his role as a head coach, as a, as a feature member of this university. He gets the punishment. He is the one who gets the suspension. This was the, the this was on the university. This wasn't on Harbaugh necessarily. This is on the university and their and their ability to do what they did and or inability, I guess I should say. So that's the issue here. But man, I I, I thought he died. I you could have mm-hmm. you could have fooled me. And that's no disrespect to Harbaugh, but the way that they've handled it, it is. I think actually yeah. embarrassing. Well, they acted that way the first time he got suspended, and that was just for a level two. Yeah, they they had the four in the air, and then uh, JJ McCarthy said after the game, he said something weird like, "Uh, we like we were missing something or something like that." It was just very. They acted weird as hell on the first time he got suspended for a level two violation. So, what were what were what were we to expect this time? And Jim Harbaugh's a weird guy, so that's part for the course. It's it's the victim mentality for me. I, I I am an engineer. I was in a material science class at Penn State, and the the professor had a had a had a motto. It's are you going to be an engineer today, or are you going to be a victim? And engineers solve problems. They admit that they mess up, and you know they they work towards that solution. They they're accountable. It's it's kind of the code of being a professional engineer. And or are you just going to wake up and be like? Yeah, no, that calculation, I didn't mess that one up. That, that wasn't me. Like, that was somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. The bridge collapsed because, uh, yeah, the sun melted the concrete. Like, it just made a cure wrong or something. And that's the way the Michigan's taken this. Like, Deny gets that big sack and does the binocular celebration and writing down the signs and all this other stuff. And J.J. McCarthy mocks him as if that's not what happened. And it's just, it's crazy. And I, you're right. I, I thought... I thought Harbaugh died or was, you know, was in a bad car wreck and in the hospital and couldn't come to the game or something. And it's like, no, he just got caught breaking the rules. And sure, they haven't found any emails that link Harbaugh to the sign stealing allegations because what's the number one way to get messed up? Ask John Gruden. You send emails, you create a paper trail, you do all of these things that get you caught. And if you're smart enough, unlike John Gruden, who's, 
we will only get touch on that subject, but like you don't create the paper trail. And if you're going to commit such a widespread cheating scheme and have a whole department dedicated to this, buying games to every conference game that there is, yeah, the number one thing you do is you don't sign the dotted line saying, hey, yeah, let's do this. And that's what the culpability clause comes from with the NCAA because ultimately as the head coach, you are responsible. And my wife made a great allegation or made a great analogy in healthcare. Like if a nurse or a patient care technician, they like do a wrong dosage for a medicine or something like they're going to get in trouble. But the one who's ultimately responsible is the doctor. Or if you're in a big company like ERCOT, for the Texas grid when it collapsed in the winter. Like, yeah, the operators may have could have been able to do something and we won't go into that, but that is my area of specialties. But the CEO is ultimately responsible for that. And in college football, guess who's the CEO? Jim Harbaugh. And if anything goes wrong in the company, you're going to be responsible for it. And you get caught doing things that you shouldn't have been doing that have been outlawed for 30 years. You're going to get suspended. And the Big Ten is doing what they need to do and I don't want to hear this shit that it's not fair to the Michigan players. You know who it's not fair to? The teams that they've been stealing these signs from and stealing victories potentially from teams who also had aspirations to go to the national title game or win bowl games or win conference conference games. It's not fair to the people that got cheated against either. It's way more not fair for them. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> But I don't know, how did the coordinators get off? Like, because there's direct evidence of Stallions next to both of those guys. There's no, and I think we all believe Harbaugh knew about it, but there's no direct evidence of Connor Stallions being by Jim Harbaugh during a game. He was right by Minter and uh, Sharon Moore. There's, we saw that. There's pictures of it. There's video of it. It's not over. Yeah. The NCAA is, I think, going to lay the hammer down. And I think this is just the precursor to that. And I think that's going to be where we find out all of that information. But you gave a recruiting analyst. Now, let's be let's be real here, too. The recruiting analyst is hardly ever on the field. You know, re- usually recruiting guys are talking with recruits, you know, $55,000. Yeah. And this guy's got an extensive budget, you know, and the NCAA trips them, trips them up. And, they, and, you know, you saw in the Big Ten memo that they kicked the can down the road. Oh, we don't know what's going on. It, it, it's the ultimate. Hey, look, there's a squirrel. And then you turn your back and, and you're, when you're doing something bad. But ultimately, you know, this is more of a black eye for college football um, because, it, it, number one, it, it's the integrity of the game. You know, it, it, there's danger there. Knowing what's coming obviously could be hurt. You know, I don't envy Tony Petiti at all, you know, when it comes to, to things in the Big Ten because this is not a great situation. Um, he has not had a great time. The Big Ten has been through a disaster. Um, both Michigan schools have had some turmoil plus Northwestern, plus, you know, everything else. But at the same time, you know, the show must go on. Penn State didn't do enough to beat Harbaugh or Michigan without Harbaugh. And and there's going to be an asterisk or whatever, and I don't think that's fair. You know, yeah, Harbaugh wasn't there for the game, but Harbaugh being able to coach throughout the week, you know, that's that's where that is made. You know, obviously he's probably a better game day coach than James Franklin, but there aren't many coaches that are worse. But – it is what it is when it comes to to being without a coach. But there's a lot that went on in college football um, over the weekend, and it was a wild time. I, I do want to give credit before we go to that. 
a coach that did do well yesterday was Manny Diaz. Michigan ran 30 straight times to end the game besides that one bullshit DPI call when uh, Kalen King got absolutely mauled or Johnny Dixon got absolutely mauled trying to make an interception and he got tackled. That's not a DPI, but we'll roll on for that. Manny Diaz, only 117 yards given up by the Penn State defense. Michigan brought out that jumbo package, which they've not done a lot this year. And Penn State forced them on three and outs in jumbo package. The jumbo package is doing things in the first half, and it won't do things in the second half. So, shout out Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is, That's a great in, Diaz, in, right. Great in game coach. He was able to make adjustments. No, he was. He did a great job, and I think that's the other thing too. You know, going back to your sitch to tie this all together, Manny Diaz lived through that Michigan game when they got embarrassed on the ground and gave up over 400 yards. Then he came out this year and improved. And our Penn State defense is one of the top defenses in the country. And that, you know, when you see that type of growth from a coordinator, that's a whole different ball game than what you're going with, you know, with the offense and and the or lack thereof in big games. You know, they perform very well against Ohio State against Michigan. But we'll get to some other scores uh, around the country because it was a wild ride for college football on Saturday. Penn State fans, we hate losing to Michigan. We hate losing to Ohio State. But guess what? They don't get embarrassed. Ole Miss last night lost 52-17 to against Georgia. They came out and scored a touchdown on the first drive and didn't do diddly squat after that. Uh, so, Penn State at least the loses these games. The best part about that, though, Kevin, not to, sorry to interrupt, is that Lane Kiffin came out and was honest. He was like, listen, we didn't play good enough. We need to recruit better. That's nothing against our guys. But we have to recruit better. We've had one five-star. Georgia has 27. No, he came in. He owned it. That is something you don't necessarily see from college coaches very much at all. But continue on. Georgia should probably jump Ohio State to be number one in the college football rankings. Georgia's the top team in the country, without a doubt. Yep. Yep. Uh, Let's see. Washington beat Utah in a wild game. Um, Tennessee, Missouri, man. Tennessee, I thought it was overrated to hell, and uh, Missouri went out and thumped them thirty-six to seven. The other game I wanted to mention: UCF upsetting Oklahoma State forty-five to three. UCF is five and five. Forty-five to three against the number fifteen ranked team in the country. That's why Penn State's still number twelve, because Penn State wins the games that they should. And we talk about Van Franco, and we criticize him all day long. Why is he so bad against Michigan and Ohio State? Because he's never favored against them. He has to pull an upstate every time they play him. Other teams, what was Oklahoma State spread? I can guarantee you they weren't favored to lose by they weren't slated to lose by 42 points yesterday. They yeah, were favored by no, two and a half. That's a really good point. A positive thing about uh Yersich being fired from an outside just getting excited about the game standpoint is that we have a reason to be excited about the Rutgers game now. Because before that, like, what was there to be motivated for? I think that goes for the outside. I also think it goes for the team because, you know, we saw against Indiana, uh, don't let Ohio State beat you twice. They almost did. But now I think that the motivation that might have been lost is going to be there now, at least for the offense. They're going to want to play hard for, for J1 Sider and Ty Howell, for sure. And for us, it gives us things to talk about. Um aside from, you know, Penn State doing what it always does and probably beating badly a team it should beat. 
And Rutgers is not yeah. a good team. No, Iowa beat them point. 22 nothing. Kirk Schrock's offense got shut out against Iowa. I Listen, we, we talk about Iowa's offense all the time, and it is historically abysmal at times. But let, let's be real. They're an 8-2 team, too. Yep. <laughs> and that is absolutely insane. They're going to play in the Big Ten Championship. You know, but they do just enough. It's all, all it takes is they do just enough to win, and that's what matters. Speaking of teams that aren't winning, um, USC lost their fourth out of five of their last five. They got beat by um, Oregon and some Pac-12 after, after dark. North Carolina won in, in double overtime. Uh, LSU handled Florida with ease. Texas struggled with TCU. Um, Ohio State vanished Michigan State to the shadow realm. West Virginia had laid an egg. Uh, and lost by 39 to Oklahoma and Oregon State, you know, did their thing against Stanford, not too shabby. But yeah, there's everything that needed Penn State needed to happen for the three way tie happened. Uh, unfortunately, it just really didn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, but at the same time, Penn State still gets to play in an elite bowl. They get to play in, a, in a, will be able to play in a New Year's Six bowl unless they blow one of these next two games out. I would be hard pressed to see that happen. But at the same time, you know, who knows? Um, is this the type of wake-up call that the Penn State offense needed? You know, there's there's some rumors around some message boards that that there that there is a little bit of turmoil in the locker room as far as the wide receivers go, and as far as getting getting out and getting to, into some situations, and as far as not getting into the facility and the film and, and things like that. Um, you know, how bad do you want it? You know, how bad do you want to beat Ohio State? How bad do you want to beat? Michigan, how bad do you want to be one of the elite teams in the country? I think if you have a, a solid look in your eye, look at yourself in the mirror, I guess I should say, then that's what Penn State needs to do tomorrow. Yeah, and if you look at Penn State's Penn State's ranking, they're number 12. They've got Missouri, Alabama ahead of them. One of those teams is going to lose in the SEC championship. I believe Alabama already qualified for there to represent the West. Texas, I think this is the week. Washington finally jumps Florida State in the rankings. Florida State's going to play Louisville in the ACC championship. Uh, if it's Florida State's first loss, maybe they don't fall below Penn State. But if it's Louisville's second loss of the season, they're going to fall below below Penn State. So there's a couple teams ahead that Washington is probably going to play Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship game. There are teams ahead of Penn State who will lose again. And Penn State's going to back in, probably be the number eight, number 10 team in the country by the time we get to bowl season. And you know what? Hopefully this J1, the, the firing of Yersic, the hiring or promotion of J1 Sider to offensive coordinator brings that energy that they needed. Hopefully it's a good spark. And I, I, I think this offense needs it. I think the team needs it because Saturday, yesterday was very, very depleting. We can't forget that this is the SEC bye week this time of year where they play the FCS schools. Yeah, let's see. Who does Missouri? Ah, Missouri's got Florida, though. <laughs> Yeah, Missouri. There's some tough games. Florida's also got to play Florida State too, so there's there's a lot going on there. And and the biggest news out before the Yersich firing was that Jimbo Fisher got fired. So we talk about James Franklin and what he's done, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But Jimbo Fisher is getting paid seventy six million dollars to sit at home and do nothing, and then because Texas A and M doesn't seemingly give it damn about finances they didn't put it in their contract that if he gets another job that they don't have to pay him as much 
nope, he gets $76 million just to sit at home. Nothing doesn't really have to do much of anything. Now, they have eight years to pay it. But in 60 days, he's getting going to get paid a couple million, 19 million, I think it is. But, you know, that's the life, right? That's the life of a uh, of, of a big name guy. But at the same time, that's that's proof that it's not the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I think, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of the body of what James Franklin has done, is there somebody that can take them beyond Ohio State and beyond Michigan regularly? And the way that those two teams are playing, I don't quite know yet. No, it, man, let's be real. Ohio State's lost, what, two or three games last year? Let's see, they lost to Georgia and they lost to Michigan twice. Other than that, I don't think they've lost. Michigan's 34-3 and three famously, thanks to the cheating scandal. I know that record. And you're facing against – so you're playing two teams who have lost six games in three years. There are games, like we mentioned, where teams are losing to unranked opponents at home and on the road. And Franklin's winning those games. So you got to you got to take the victories where you got them. Ten and two sucks. It sucks losing to Ohio State, and Michigan every year, but at some point it's got to break. And I th- I think you just got to stay the course because Penn State doesn't have oil money to dump seventy four million dollars into a buyout like Texas A and M does. Yeah, uh, that's we talked a lot about that last week. Um, and it's important to keep perspective because. Uh, Penn State's in a better situation than most, and um, I think everybody has to remember that. Uh, Franklin deserves his criticism, certainly, especially um, after Saturday's game, but he's not going anywhere, and anybody who thinks he should slash is, that's not the right line of thinking because things are, relatively speaking, things are pretty good at Penn State, and not that they couldn't be better, not that they shouldn't maybe arguably be better, but they're pretty solid. They're pretty solid. Yeah. yeah, and before we go, Joe, you mentioned they, they could be better. They have gotten better, right? If you look at this year compared to last year, those games against Ohio State and Michigan did, get, did in fact, get better. You know, obviously, it sucks to lose to them. It sucks to be in the same situation year after year after year. But when you look at it as a whole, it, there is improvement at, at times, um, thanks to Manny Diaz and the defense. But at the same time, you got to get, get it done. You got to beat those teams. They had a, the world is their oyster this year. They had a really good chance, um, and they'll still go to a really good bowl game. But at the same time, they didn't get the job done when it mattered the most, and that's why he's big game James, and that's why Mike Yersich is currently unemployed, and he might be hanging out with Jimbo Fisher somewhere at a Publix. <laughs> but for Kevin Quickly and Joe Smeltzer, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. We thank you, as always for listening and we'll catch you again later this week.